We are on to episode 34. Do you love food? No, I mean, do you love food? Like, you literally can't stop eating. Given the fact humans need to eat, it probably seems like a tall ask for me to suggest that if you love food that much, maybe you're addicted. As you know from my episodes on fasting, humans don't quite need as much food as the modern day person might think. And there are quite a large handful of people that are, in fact, addicted to the consumption of food. If you feel like this could potentially be you, stay right there because we have a food addiction coach on the line. Let's get stuck into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Welcome to another episode. Before we jump into today's interview, I just want to remind you of the competition we have going, of which I'll put all the information at the back of this podcast and in the show notes. Your chance to win a free one-on-one nutrition consultation with yours truly, uh, with just three simple steps to get there. And we also have an upcoming online seminar on fertility with Holly Sinclair at the Women's Series. Again, I'll put all that information at the back of the podcast and also in the show notes of today's episode. All right, now to today's show. Today's amazing guest is from the US of A. Jennifer Allenbeck is a food coach, not just any food coach, but a food addiction coach who has devoted her life to speaking, writing, and coaching on this debilitating disease. Jenny's intense passion to raise awareness and help others comes from her own personal struggle with food. She sought treatment at age 21, but sadly, it was ineffective. Finally, at the age of 45, she learned of her own severe addiction to sugar and flour, the addictive culprits of her insane obsession and compulsion to eat. Living in Florida, she has three children, has maintained a 75-pound weight loss for years, 35 kilograms for our metric listeners, and enjoys a full life, obsession-free. And I'm so glad that you're here with us today, Jenny. How are you doing? Thank you. Awesome. It's great to be here. Yeah, we're across the pond, so we're, you know, it's going to be good just, for the Australian <laughs> listeners to be able to hear your message. Yeah, just a little pond there. Yeah, just a little pond. I your accent. Yeah, but I remember last time I went, okay, I flew from LA to Melbourne. It was 17 and a half hour flight. It's a big pond. Oh, it's a big pond, yeah. <laughs> so I, I want to start off pretty much with a definition because, you know, hu- humans are meant to eat, right? So what exactly is food addiction? Okay, food addiction is characterized by an obsession with food, an obsession with weight, and loss of control over the amount eaten. So it can be described like this. When I put any form of sugar or flour in my system, it sets up a mental obsession followed by a physical craving that is so powerful it must be satiated, and that's how we get the binging started. Right. So the human brain is designed to go and seek food, to crave things in order to eat and then have you know feel rewarded by that. Like what exactly differentiates you know a, a normal healthy craving from an unhealthy craving? Well, I think it's how our body metabolizes sugar and what it does to our system. I mean, some people can just don't have the physical allergy to sugar and flour that others do. And, you know, it gets worse and worse as we go on. We grow our, um, our, I can't think of the word right now, but our ability, like it just gets bigger and bigger. So we can eat more and more. Our 
oh, it's on the tip of my tongue, the word, but, <laughs> and, and the problem is we're so food has changed in this culture. It is chemically engineered now. So it is set up to be addictive for us to want more. So it's a real problem because it, it's chemically engineered. They're actually creating food so that the consumer will buy more, want more and more and more. You're dealing with, you know, money. It's pretty hard to fight that corporate industry, especially when they have scientists literally scanning people's brains in MRIs and creating food based on addictive tendencies. It's like when you're in the MRI, you're providing data for, you know, people that are addicted, but you're also providing that same data for corporate, you know, companies to create foods that are addicting. It's like this horribly vicious cycle. With the data, I love that science, we are finding out so much. We're getting such good information. The problem is, like you said, it's helping big business use it against us almost and our health. But the unfortunate thing is that science and knowledge, intelligence does not stop people when it comes to addiction. I mean, look at alcohol, look at cigarettes, look at drugs. People are getting addicted all the time. It has nothing to do with intelligence. There's a lot of physiology involved. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. In regards, I mean, when we speak of addiction generally, um, it's usually pretty obvious how we can identify that in someone because a lot of the addictions that most people are familiar with, I think, are very obvious. They're either illicit mm -hmm. substances or they're at the pub every single day or, you know, they're all of a sudden, you know, smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. But how do you identify someone with food addiction? Like, or how do you identify someone close to you or yourself, like as a food addict? Okay. Well, I, I have some questions here that you can say, but basically like if you're binging, purging, dieting, or over-exercising, and that is a way of life for you and you cannot stop eating, you may have a problem. In With relatives, loved ones, it can be really hard to detect. But if they're overweight and you always notice that they don't eat a lot of food in front of people or in front of you, then you know that they're eating in private they probably have a problem. If they're spending two to three hours in the day exercising to lose weight, that can be an indicator that there's an issue. If they isolate and stop going out because they don't want to be seen, that can be an issue. There's, there's. I wish there was a black and white that I said, you know, if they start growing purple hair, you know that they're a food <laughs> addict, but it's just not that obvious. But here are some questions that they can ask themselves. Do you think about food or your weight constantly? Do you constantly ask, do I look fat? Or have you ever thrown out food only to dig it in the garbage for it later? Do you eat in secret? Have you ever hidden food to make sure you have enough? Have you ever stolen other people's food? Do you frequently feel guilty or ashamed about what you've eaten? Or are you waiting for your life to begin? And that would sound like, when I lose weight, then I'll do this, which is very common for people who have body issues. Are you unable to quit regardless of the physical consequences? In this country, I don't know how it is in Australia, but I mean, obesity is on the rise tremendously, not only with adults, but in children. We have a serious epidemic going on here. And physical consequence of addiction are, the there are just so many, but if you get diagnosed with diabetes type two, heart disease, high cholesterol, blood pressure, sleep apnea, all these things, you know, people don't think maybe it's my diet. 
they go right to where's the, where's the doctor to give me a pill. They want the quick fix, but I'm telling you, and you know this, if you clean up your nutrition, you can reduce the consequences and reduce the medical indicators that are causing you trouble just by nutrition. I couldn't agree more. And that's a big part of my message with the podcast and with my own business. And that's simply that, you know, what do we do, you know, depending on who you are, two to six times every single day, we put food in our body and we do that every single day for decades and decades and decades. And the simple fact that people, you know, go to the doctor or are cultured to go to the doctor in response to a bodily function that's gone wrong. And they're like, you know, here's a pill. Well, hang on. What do you do to your body two to six times of every single day? You've, you know, you put nutrition into it or, you know, in some cases, sugar and flour, which is not as nutritious as is ideal. And yeah, it just kind of blows my mind that um, I guess we're not cultured or at least the medical industry is a culture to first look at the diet as, as a foundational problem. Well, there again, we have industry involved in that because we have big pharma. Yeah, hey, big pharma. Yeah, I know you do. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so there's a lot of things in the mix, but um, we also have a culture and we've been taught this way. We have been through advertising, which is so powerful. We've really been taught to for the quick and easy, you know, for the fast and easy, just simple, not to have to do a lot of work, not to have to put the time in. We want to grab and go. We're a grab and go society. Yeah, convenience. We're definitely a convenient society. Uh, And I think potentially that's part of the battle with food addiction is that you know the we're always looking for the short op- shortcut option to everything and and the brain's even designed to do that it's like because it's trying to conserve energy and and decision making expenditure and all these types of things so it's a very i can imagine it's a very hard thing to battle against which is why there's so many problems well i mean you know you have the diet industry which is billions of dollars and it's all about the quick shake the quick bar the quick you know the quick meal in a box you know i mean if it's in a bag, a box, or a can, stay away from it. Yeah, I love that. I love that. <laughs> but, you know, we just don't live in that type of society, and it's really unhealthy. It's super unhealthy. I remember when we caught up a couple of weeks ago, we were chatting about this topic, obviously, and you said uh, one of the most common signs or patterns that you see with food addicts is that most food addicts have a lack of emotional maturity. And I'm really interested to hear you go into that a little bit more. Okay. Um, Yes. You know, I've been in recovery and around recovery since I'm 13 years old. And it always baffled me, like, these are really smart, smart people like really intelligent, what is going on? So I've noticed that there's this emotional maturity lacking through, there was a line, like a thread that I noticed. So yes, we're all familiar with the term IQ, which means our level, which measures our level of intelligence and our ability to learn. But scientists were doing studies and got curious, how come some people with really high IQs weren't always so successful? And that's how they came across EQ from what I understand from the history. So we have EQ or emotional intelligence. That is your ability to recognize and understand emotions in yourself and others, and your ability to use this awareness to manage your behavior and relationships. And I think it's the latter that addicts struggle with, the managing of their behavior and relationships. And doesn't it make sense? Because addicts use to cope. They use whatever it is, whether it's drugs, alcohol, food, sex, gambling, as a coping mechanism. 
So the more I get into this IQ, it's really making sense. And it's because they're lacking in some personal and social competencies. Because like I said, addiction has nothing to do with intelligence. It has to do with a maturity to handle your emotions in an effective way. Yeah, that makes so much sense because most people turn to food, turn to sugar. I know, you know, most uh, most intelligent adults know that, yep, I've had a bad day. I need sugar. Like I, I hear that sentence a lot. Like I've just had a bad day, you know, whether it's I need a beer, whether it's I need, you know, sugar, whether it's whatever it is. The point is that people are so aware that they are filling or engaging with a negative emotion or filling an emotional void with that behavior that it's almost just socially acceptable to do so now. Absolutely. It is. It, it We use food for everything. If you go to a wedding, we're eating. If you go to a funeral, you're eating. I mean, it doesn't matter. And people know that the apple is healthier than the donut. Everybody knows that. You don't have to be a brain surgeon, but it's so much better. Doesn't a donut absolutely taste better than an apple? Oh, but, totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, and, and I guess as we discussed before, you know, it's engineered to be that way. Absolutely. Um, now you've actually been in this place yourself, like, which is what we were talking about before that you, you were a food addict in the introduction and you've had this experience. Can you tell us a little bit about your personal journey and I guess what, what you overcame or how you realized, you know, that you were a food addict and I guess the progression through to being a food addiction coach. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert, such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Yeah, totally based on my 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 own experience and my my experimenting. So it started when I was a kid, you know. I got very self-conscious of my body and my weight at at a young age, like 6, 7, 8, and I was a chubby kid, but nothing out of control um until I got into puberty and then all of a sudden I noticed that like one serving wasn't enough. Very self-conscious and and getting larger. I started my first official diet in 10th grade, got down to almost my goal weight, like a few pounds away. And I lasted there about three minutes and then just started eating again and went right back up. But instead of, I went right back up and surpassed the weight that I started the diet at. So that's, I just kept this whole cycle of dieting trying to control my weight. And I could not do it from an early age. I mean, in high school, I was like 180 pounds. 
Um, I don't know what that is in your lang- in your math conversion, but uh, it was be chubby. about 80, 85 or something okay. like that. It, it was chubby. Kilos. You know, it was really chubby. It was unhealthy, but I was, I just was grabbing food and I particularly loved sugar. I mean, that was my favorite thing. So I go to college and now I'm in college and I'm drinking and I'm eating. And in college, they, you can order the food. It comes right to your dorm at 10 o'clock at night. So that was kind of dangerous. And when I got, (laughs) that was not good for me. And when I got out of, uh, when I graduated college, I went, went to treatment and treatment was good. It was a place where I realized where they taught me that sugar was a problem. Like we can't have sugar. I said, okay. But the philosophy there was that it was sugar. That was the problem, not flour. So that was allowed in my food plan. And that was a real problem for me. And I literally spent over 20 years like every day was Groundhog's Day, just waking up, dreading to get dressed in the morning because I knew I wasn't sure what was going to fit and swearing every Monday morning that this was, I am serious. I, w- I could tell you I was so serious. I would sell a kid. That's how serious <laughs> I was, that I was never going to eat again, that I was really going to do it this time. I need to get healthy. I want to look good. I want to feel good. And I just couldn't do it. Sometimes I'd last till about 10, 11 a.m., Maybe at some days I'd last to 4 p.m., but I just, it, it got to the point where I couldn't stay on a diet and I tried everything. I tried Weight Watchers. I tried the shots. I tried pills. I tried everything and I just could not. It, it always led me back until the end where I just couldn't even um, do a diet. Like I had no more stamina for it. And let me say in the last year of my using and abusing food, I got highly addicted to fast food. That was killer for me. I never really was a big fast food eater, but that last year just put me over the edge. I was so addicted to it Um, and I was miserable. So I woke up on my 45th birthday and, you know, it, it was just one of those times where you really evaluate and look back and go, you know, what am I doing? Where am I going? Am I on track? And I just wasn't anywhere where I wanted to be. I wasn't in the, I wasn't in a healthy marriage. My career was not going anywhere. You know, I was just, I was just functioning, you know, simply functioning, getting out of bed, taking my kids to school, whatever they needed to do, I could do. But there was no like joie de vivre. I had no uh, zest for anything. I was just, and you know, food does that. It deadens you. It just numbed me out. And I was just like depressed and it was just not good, not a good situation. But I knew that it started with the food for me. I knew that that was a problem that I needed to get under control if I was going to improve any other area of my life. So I started seeking help and I found this group that taught me, you have a sugar and flour problem. And I, nobody, I had been to doctors. I have severe asthma and no asthma doctor, no, no doctor, diet doctor, acupuncturist chiropractor in any modality had ever said to me, Hey, have you ever thought about giving up sugar and flour? Because those could be really addictive. And it sounds like you have those, this tendency, especially since I was a recovering alcoholic. Hey, have you ever thought about giving up sugar and flour? Because those could be really addictive. And it sounds like you have those, this tendency, especially since I was a recovering alcoholic, you know, got sober at 21. 
Nobody ever said that to me. So when I put down the sugar and flour, took it completely out of my diet, started eating three healthy, well-balanced meals a day, nothing in between, my life started to change. The weight came off. I started feeling good. I started, I mean, my asthma got so much better. I still have it, but it is 85% better than what it used to be um, because the sugar was such a, really um, ignited it. It was terrible. Um, You know, so many, so many areas of my life just improved just by putting down sugar and flour. I kind of explain it like your life goes from black and white to color. You know, I was just like kind of zombieing through my days to where all of a sudden I was so grateful to be up and out walking in the morning and so happy with my food and it tasted good and I loved it and I still do. I just love my food. What was the, uh, what, because we talked before about the food addicts have an emotional maturity issue um, and you're describing this and about finding this group and whatnot, but what was the emotional shift? Like, because if you didn't obviously have that emotional shift, you would have still felt a need to use. So what was that thing that shifted you emotionally? Well, I think I'm still in the process of working that out. So let me explain. I was raised in an alcoholic home where I think I didn't, it was not emotional maturity and certain techniques and strategies were not modeled for me in my particular situation. So I was growing up with these lack of coping skills. So naturally I went to food and then alcohol and food was always there. So once I put the food down, it really took just, I meditate every day for 30 minutes, which has afforded me the ability to pause during my day, which has been a great help in managing my moods, let's say. Um, I'm no longer reactive, you know, and I think sugar played a big role in that, in being reactive instead of just acting appropriately. Um, There's all sorts of tools that I use, you know, uh, journaling, breathing techniques, visioning, all these things that like calm down your system and allow you to take time to think of, okay, what would be the appropriate response instead of just reacting and thinking and becoming um, much more self-aware of others and getting out of myself. Um, addicts tend to be a, a bit narcissistic. That's, yeah. that's a, a characteristic of addicts, right? So That makes so much you, sense. Yeah. So when you put that drug down, it's like, and you start getting healthy and you start living life on life's terms without using, you have to gain those skills. And it takes a while, but they do come. It's almost like you need to go through a reparenting process. Yeah, well, you absolutely. I tell my clients, especially, yes, you have to become your own parent because the child and the addict within wants it now. And they have this four-year-old temper tantrum. They want it now. They don't want to wait. And they're not going to be, you know, they just stand there stamping their feet. So yes, we have to learn to parent ourselves. Absolutely. So given that you have obviously extensive experience on your own and growing up in that type of alcoholic home and addictive home, and I guess progressing all the way through to helping others achieve the freedom that you now have, what are two or three things that the listeners could do right now to start beginning that journey to better their relationship with food? Okay. The first thing I would suggest is stop the crazy dieting. You're just hurting your body. You're not helping it. 
Um, get off the prepackaged meals, shakes, bars, pills, shots, all of it. Simply just eat three meals a day and stay away from bags, boxes, and cans. So that would be the first thing. The second thing would be to cut out soft drinks completely and drink more water. Absolutely. Then, They're the biggest culprit, especially in America. Yes, it's a big problem here. They, we have these big gulps that's enough for like a week and they drink it in a whole day. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and then third, adopt an attitude of appreciation for food as nourishment rather than the reward and the treat that you're getting. You know, food is just here to nourish our bodies, but we don't appreciate, we don't even have that mindset when we eat. It's always eating for pleasure, eating for, you know, a yummy meal rather than nourishing ourselves. So that would be my three tips. It sounds like from what you've talked about, it's like the first thing to implement is almost like an intermittent fasting schedules, um, like, which is what I talk about a lot on the podcast. It's like you know, sort of meal, no snacks, meal, no snacks kind of scenario. Um, is there any particular, is, is that sort of the structure that you have? Of my for? program, yes. Yes. You know, I like people to eat during certain meal times and that, yes, we have to set that circadian rhythm and the body rhythm in our bodies. And it's just a healthier way to function. And I go, so with breakfast, I eat breakfast between six and eight, lunch is between 12 and one thirty, dinners between five and seven. And then, you know, you get 12 to 14 hours of your body to regenerate when I sleep because I'm not eating, you know, it's this craziness that people go out to dinner at eight, nine o'clock at night, go to bed, their body's busy digesting what's in their stomach and they don't have time to regenerate. They're not, their body's not healing. And that's what sleep is for. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I talk about exactly the same thing. A lot of your immune functions are compromised if you go to bed with a full belly because yeah. your body is digesting. As you said, it's not performing its normal immune functions that are, or, or it's weight loss functions, which happen when you're asleep. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, so it's, just a, it's just the all around healthiest way to set your body in a rhythm and get going. And It's funny, since, since, we, since we first spoke, I thought... In between then and now, I'm going to go sugar-free and grain-free, not just flour-free, grain-free. So I haven't eaten dairy, anything with sugar or any grains since we last spoke. <laughs> and how do you feel? Have, what was the difference for you? I, I feel great. I feel great. Um, yeah, I, I guess the only thing that's maybe come up a little bit, because um, I guess I'm relatively healthy anyway, but I just, I've done, and I've, I guess functionally it's an, an elimination diet as well because which we do a lot in nutritional therapy we eliminate food you know entire food groups to then slowly reintroduce them to find what's causing a skin condition or a gut issue so I've, I've done an elimination diet before in multiple contexts but yeah i guess irritability is probably the only thing that comes up a little bit which is probably just me detoxing from the the sugar wow i you know with my people because we're food addicts I only say no sugar, no flour. I don't go as far as like, let's get off dairy and meat because I think it, it's hard enough to get off sugar and flour, especially when you're a food addict. So to take away all that at once with dairy oh, and yeah. meat is just too much. Yeah. Um, I definitely think that's a personal choice. I will say that I am a fan of grain. I had no grain for nine months and my reaction, and I know this has happened to many, many people, my hair fell out in the wow. clumps. Yes. Okay. So I don't recommend no grain. I think sweet potato is very healthy. Grain, rice, you know, certain grains are, you know, I eat oatmeal every day. 
So I, I think a no grain diet, if it works for you, that's great. But I, I, that, that's not part of my pro grains are part of my program. Yeah. Only because I, I physically had, um, with nine months without it, it was horrible for my physical, what it did to my hair. I lost like half the hair on my head. Yeah. That's super interesting. I'm actually, after we chat, I'm going to go looking uh, about that and do some uh-huh. Googling well, let, me, let me know what you find out, but, um, I can tell you my hair's back now that I eat it. <laughs> now oh, well, awesome. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, where can people find you online? Okay. Well, the first thing you have to know is how to spell my last name. So it is A-L-E-M as in Mary, B as in boy, I-K, Alembic. You can follow me on Instagram and or Facebook at Jennifer Alembic Coaching. Um, I also have on Facebook a private group called Food Addict Forum. So ask to join. And for those listeners who are ready to possibly make a change and find out more, I have a free webinar at foodfreedom11.com. That's foodfreedom11, the number.com. And it'll give you a lot more information and give you a little bit more about my so Wonderful. That's where you can find me. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. And for the listeners, as you guys already know, um, follow us both on Instagram. And if you enjoyed this episode, take a screenshot and share it as your story. Tag us both so that we can see who's watching and share it. It helps the podcast grow organically and helps Jenny's message get get out there more organically. So please do that. And I guess before we wrap up, I have one more question, which I ask all my guests. What is one piece of health information that you wish more people knew about? Hmm. I wish people just knew how much processed foods are affecting both their ability to function and their quality of life. And the only way to find out is to experience the contrast by getting off sugar and flour. Um, Truly, my favorite part of what I do is watching my clients go from that black and white world to color when they get off sugar and flour. And they're they're just amazed and shocked at the difference that it makes in their lives. So I wish people really knew. And, and these are healthy people too. People who think that they're eating healthy and, you know, maybe grab a protein bar in the morning and, you know, they think that's healthy, but when you really get off sugar and flour, it's just, it's a different world. It's a different world. I couldn't agree more. Well, I'm, I'm truly grateful for your time. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. And I really encourage everybody listening to get in touch with you because I really think you're doing the world some really great things. Awesome. Thank you, Maddie. You too. You keep this good work up, getting the word out for all industries and for everybody you have on your podcast. I know you're doing good stuff. Uh, Thanks so much. I really appreciate you being on the show. Thanks. Thank you. See you later. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.